Hey, here we are for another episode of Old School Guns, the podcast that tells you like it is. And this is our 81st, number 81st podcast. Number 81, number big number 81. That'd be a great number to have either sports team or race car or something. That is, if anybody watches sports anymore, I don't. Uh, I've lost interest in it steadily over the years, precipitously in, in probably the last 10 years. Uh, you know, the, the problem line is, the problem is, uh, I don't like the melding of pop culture, sports, politics, and this is really all left-wing stuff that kind of kind of goes together. You know, frankly, um, most sports athletes are people who've had a very, very privileged life, no matter what color they are. They're, they're identified as, from, from small children on, as being phenomenal and as having a future, and they are treated as such. So, you know, when it comes to just an ordinary person like me, I don't like being treated uh, like I need to be lectured to by a bunch of guys who are um, there may be an exception here or there, but they're they're less educated than I am. They're certainly less responsible than I am, and uh, I consider them just slumdog millionaire felons. I mean, you know, when you look at the crime, they do every statistic in the NFL except crime, because <laughs> it's hard to find that. If you go and look, you will find that the uh they'll, they'll, there are some stats for the felonies the misdemeanors and the other stuff even the serious ones you you can't really find those it'd be interesting to have team by team crime stats uh, especially with some of the more serious subjects like domestic abuse which seems to be uh, very popular in the nfl there always seems un- unless they can hush it up there always seem to be a few cases and some of those are uh, are pretty high profile uh, remember the guy a few years ago dragging his girlfriend out of the elevator by her hair, you know, and all this other kind of stuff. These guys beating their wives, beating their kids, getting in fights in strip joints and, and bars and all the rest of this nonsense that they go through. And you realize some of that is a function of age. They're, you know, very young and they have more money than most people could even dream of. But by the same token, it doesn't excuse them and their behavior. And lecturing, lecturing to the rest of us um, is really not the right way to go about it. And if they want to wear some thug's uh, name on their helmet or on their jersey or whatever, whatever nonsense they're doing, you know what, hey, hey count me out. Uh, sports kind of used to be something that kind of brought people together. You went there, you watched for the game, you watched the game, you rooted for your team, and you know there weren't a, there weren't a whole lot of barriers there. Now they're putting in a lot of barriers, a lot of caveats. So, you know, frankly, uh, totally. If I wasn't done before, I certainly am now. Which brings us to the latest uh, atrocities of the Biden Jugend. The Biden Jugend, all those young people who are taking action and and getting involved and everything else. Well, the latest Biden Jugend went and shot two uh, deputies in Compton, California. They were sitting in their car, both comparatively new officers. You wonder how that is. You would think in a police department they would match up more experienced officers with younger ones. That's how I would do it, but evidently they did not do that. Uh, You know, the good part is, it's something I've talked about on this podcast, and that is, 
bad guys don't really don't really take a lot of pay attention or take a lot of stock in the ammunition they use. Uh, apparently, the one deputy she was shot through the jaw, and the other one was actually hit in the head, but it didn't penetrate his skull. So. I kind of chalk that up to maybe he was just grazed. I don't know. But, um, you know, it could have been that that just smells to me like a 22 caliber or 25 caliber short barreled handgun that with crappy old ammunition or the cheapest ammunition that's maybe not performing as well or ammunition that's been sitting, you know, it been exposed to wetness or something which degraded its. Uh, effectiveness so so there you go so obviously that you know they, they're still crooks will still be crooks but it was just hours after this shooting maybe the next morning so but less probably less than 12 hours the leader of the biden Ugand, Haydn joe biden um came out for gun control now what's stupid about this and, and again stupid and biden go together hand in hand is California already has the strictest gun control laws in the country. And this happened in Compton. This wasn't like it's a border town where the bad guys came over the border. No, this is in the heart of their state. All of those laws are in force, yet somehow the bad guy got it. And Biden's only answer, he's so stupid, his only answer is, well, we obviously need more, more laws, more gun control, more laws take more guns away from honest citizens uh you know do they think this guy who shot the two the two sheriff's deputies would would obey a gun control law obviously not because he clearly broke sec several of them and other laws to boot you know like assault with a deadly weapon attempted murder and all these other every charge that they're gonna that they're gonna heap on this guy when they finally catch him which they will because they offer enough dough and they will and the best part was the uh, sheriff challenged LeBron James, you know, this this outspoken ass of a human being. Guy thinks because he's a basketball player, he's, he's like really smart or something. And LeBron James is not smart. And uh, he challenged him, hey, match the reward, man. You want to see justice, match the reward. And, of course, I don't think LeBron bothered to answer that because he... He wouldn't give a dime to solve a crime perpetrated against cops. Even though LeBron himself is one of these golden children who's, they knew he was going to be a sports phenomenon. He was drafted right out of high school. I mean, when he was in high school, he was good enough to play in the NBA, basically. And they got him right out of school. And, you know, it's always very funny. I've always, I've had this story. I don't know if I've told it on the podcast before, but, um, about six months before he was done with school and in the NBA, LeBron James got into a fender bender. And he was driving what at the time was a very new luxury high profile car, uh, Hummer H2. Or maybe it was a Hummer H3. I don't know. One of those big Hummer looking things. Not the original military one, but the ones that kind of built after that, you know, really drug dealers, crime bosses, and other people wanted. So he got this, he got this Hummer and you know, his mother was a single mother working and allegedly she took out the loan and bought him this car. Well, anybody with any brains knows that there was probably some payola involved and these scouts were probably, you know, co-signing for stuff and everything else because, you know, a lot of teams probably wanted to sign 
uh, LeBron James because he was a phenomenal basketball player as a senior in high school was good enough to play in the NBA so so there you go so LeBron has never LeBron in spite of his beard and his his frowning demeanor and all this LeBron has never been oppressed LeBron has never been treated poorly LeBron has never been the victim of any kind of racism LeBron just thinks he is <laughs> and he thinks that everybody else is too who's looks the same as he does so you know there you go another one of these big mouth athletes and and you know really you know if you start ignoring them the way I have they just become less and less important to me you know they just don't matter anymore they just don't matter and I hope that uh, enough people talk with their wallets and their shoes and stay away from some of these events then maybe some of these guys will come down a little bit it'll be nice to see be very nice to see but uh, getting back to our old friend Biden our old friend Biden you know uh, did they I wonder if they check him for signs of nursing home abuse <laughs> before he goes on a campaign trip you know calling for gun control I mean he couldn't make a bigger prop with with all of the last say three or four months and people seeing the looting, the burning, the rioting in their living room, he's calling for gun control. And uh, I hope that's just another nail in the uh, his political coffin there because, man, it just seems to be the wrong play to me. And, and uh, frankly, though, anything he does that sabotages himself is a good deal. And speaking of the riots, hey, this is our next deal. This is a big deal. You know, who had thought of Kenosha, Wisconsin, or Lancaster, Pennsylvania, before any of these riots started? Uh, these last ones that, that just cropped up, you know, in the last couple of weeks. Who even thought about those places? I mean, those are looked upon as kind of, I would think Kenosha, Wisconsin would be a very, you know, it's a city, but I would think it would be, you know, fairly quaint, a smaller city, you know, not with any of the problems rife in a Chicago or a New York. Same thing with Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I mean, I've heard of it. I've never been there, and I don't know really that much about it. It's not a high-profile place. So, But when you see these riots happening in those places, makes you wonder, you know, is my hometown, the town I live in, does it insert that name here in these stories I mean could these things really be coming um, I don't know I, I really don't know my gut instinct is that Antifa BLM are a, a lot of them are hot air I mean a lot of these guys are hot air and if somebody stands up to them <laughs> like in Kenosha I don't think they're gonna get too far you know they had two guys who basically uh, checked out paid in full and the third one got his bicep blown off so you know when they come up against the real deal i guess that they're they're not uh, as thuggish and uh, as hard as as tough as they think they are but this doesn't really matter what really matters is i'm looking forward to what's going to happen after november if Biden wins, will there be riots? 
well, I don't think there's much of a chance he's going to win. I do think that there's going to be a much better chance Trump wins, and in which case, you know, better hold on to your hats because I think there could be a lot more widespread rioting. I mean, a lot of people are going to go mental, and, uh, you know, you see Trump derangement syndrome, you see libtardation, whatever you want to call it. A lot of these people are very, very bad people, and uh, they're going to do some bad things. I mean, you can just see that happening. And the guys who are always kind of the, and this leads me into the next, the next one. It's not funny, but it leads me into the next one. You know, I, I don't really follow them, but of course, if you're on YouTube doing anything with firearms or even military history or whatever these these prepper guys kind of and there's actually a couple prepper gals they all kind of pop up and one of the ones i was seeing it was our famous pastor in arkansas who i've known personally in the past we worked together at the same place at one time uh he's talking about gee think the unthinkable you know there are a lot of these you know they're always about well do you have a plan for this do you have a plan for that well, a lot of these people who had retreat locations and bug out locations that were out in the woods, now they're a big pile of charcoal because a lot of these wildfires kind of wiping some of that stuff out or they can't get access to it or they realize that maybe they built their survival retreat in the middle of a place that can go up like a tinderbox. You know, uh, there's a reason that a lot of frontier people did not live in the deep woods. And that's, fire is a big hazard. I mean, fire is a big hazard. So, um, I would say that, you know, of, of all the things that you can face, hurricanes, tornadoes, fire is one of the worst. Because it will actually get you. And the forests have been so mismanaged that... Um, these wildfires are are completely out of control and there have been a lot of rumors how true they are I think there's some truth to it but it looks like they found some Antifa people who've been out setting fires you know who would have thought huh how could you possibly think something like that well you can think something like that because it's probably true in some cases that they're gonna go out there and start fire these anarchists will start mayhem anywhere so you got to start thinking about your drinking water. You got to start thinking about a lot of things. Um, we also got to start looking about how we populate areas. You know, California has traditionally had a problem with water. They have now a problem with electricity, where they're cutting off people's electricity, and that is very third world. That's the kind of stuff that happened in Iraq when I was there, and problems with water that happened in the Balkans when I was there. So these are very third world problems that are kind of creeping up and the forest fires are just adding to that. So if you add a water shortage, an electricity shortage, and this omnipresent threat of forest fires every summer and fall, um, I think that there are probably other places you should live and maybe we should try to figure out how to manage those things and maybe just unbridled development and uh, you know population of this stuff is is not the best best plan because all of those 
can descend into some sort of anarchy, all of those can descend into a very uncomfortable survival type situation where you, you're going to need firearms to preserve your life. And if you're in California, you got a lot less choices than people have here in Kansas. Okay, You can be much better prepared to deal with stuff like that in Kansas than you are in California because of the regulatory environment. So it's, uh, it's, it's terrible to think about, but some of these people who had very detailed plans of if it gets bad here, I'm going to go there, well now there is up in smoke. There is not a place where you can last, and even if you can get there, there may be nothing left there because the fire has, has uh, wiped it out. They don't call it scorched earth for nothing. That doesn't have a meaning for nothing. It is a... Um, a very viable thing. Once the earth has been scorched like that, there is there is no, no life, no nothing left. Okay, that brings us to my favorite part of the podcast, which is questions and answers. Um, got a few things that have come in, and the first one is, this one actually was uh, came up with somebody I work with, and they had a Bubba gun, which they said, hey, would you like to have this? I said, sure, I'll, I'll take it. Uh, so the question really is, what to do with Bubba guns? And by a Bubba gun, I mean a, it's usually a military surplus rifle that at some point in the past um, was mangled in some fashion to try to make it more of a sporting type rifle than a military rifle. So in some cases, it's simply just, hey, the stock was replaced and no metal work was done. Those are good because if you find a replacement stock, because almost nobody keeps the ones they take off it, um, you can restore those back. And there, you know, you go on Facebook or you go on internet forums and there are, there are scads of rifles that have been brought back from the dead. Um, you know, as long as there hasn't been metal cut, uh, they're, they're usually okay. And even in some cases, if barrels have been shortened, a replacement barrel can be found and put on there. It'll never be completely original. It'll never be completely anything except a military rifle in its military configuration and perhaps with some replacement parts. Because original stocks, original barrels, those are the two biggest ones that are hard to get. But for most guns, you can still... You can find reproductions of those things. So hey, you put a repo stock on it. Hey, there it is. I mean, it's not a bad, not a bad deal. It's never, it's never going to be original the way it turned out of the factory anyway. But you can put it back into its military configuration. But then there are a lot of guns that are just too far gone. And this, this one gun was was one of those. It turned out to be a Remington made model 1917 rifle, U.S. model 1917. And, you know, the thing that kills the ability to restore that to military configuration is, of course, the ears of the rear sight, which are an integral part of the receiver, have been milled off. The uh, bridge where the stripper clip guide goes in has been milled off. And, in fact, you know, and it's been rounded. It's, there's no way to restore that. There have been a couple of, of guys who could who could kind of put some of that back, but this one is too far gone. And it's and it's been drilled on the rear of the receiver. So it's got a lot of problems. The um, 
the problems I have seen with this gun is that um, there's no way it goes back. So you only have a couple of different options. One option is to go full sporter. And the reason that's a bad option is because to put a very nice stock on it, to put a nice trigger on it, and all those other things cost more than a sporting rifle that you can buy in Walmart or anywhere else. And if you want to do a first class job and make it a beautiful sporter, you're, you're going to invest. The, the labor it would take to do that is too far. And then what do you have? Well, you have a 30-06 bolt action rifle on an obsolete action that has been that has been kind of messed up. So, you know, that's just not a viable, viable course of action. The other thing that's not viable about it is that the barrel, although the original finish, the blued finish has been taken off the barrel, the barrel is unmolested, has not been cut, has not been shortened. So if you want to follow the do no harm, um, you know, you certainly don't want to cut this barrel down. Now you could, and, and frankly, it's just not worth it. The used, even if you took the barrel off it and said, hey, somebody with a Remington rifle of 1917 would like to have this barrel if they've got a roached barrel. Uh, these things are only worth about 200 bucks, the barrel, and that's that's not even enough money really to get you a replacement and get it installed. So by taking the barrel off you're gonna, and replacing it, you're going to lose money, not make money. So, you know, the only, you can't really go full sporter on this. You can't, and, and why would you want to do that? I mean, this, this receiver has been, although it's been smoothed over, it's been mangled enough. It's, it's never going to be a nice, a beautiful, nice sporter. It's never going to be something that walks out of, uh, um, you know, Holland and Holland or anything for sure. You know, this is, this is pretty much, uh, pretty much had it. So yes, yeah, no, no Griffin and Howe, nothing, nothing like that. It's it definitely has has been injured to the point of no return, point of no return. So then, what do you do with it? Well, it's got the original trigger guard, it's got the original barrel in the original length, and still has the original markings, and it has an Eddystone bolt, which is complete and in military configuration, except it doesn't have any finish on it either. So you could you could part it out. You could kill the rifle and part it out and say, hey, I can get about 200 bucks for the barrel. I can probably get maybe 75 for the bolt. I don't know what they run, but Eddystone is the most common, so it's probably uh, probably not a lot. I get something. I do have the. It's not a fixed, but I got the original Remington marked front sight. That's got to be worth 15, 20 bucks maybe. Uh, no butt plate on it, but I do have the original trigger guard and, and all of that. So, you know, all of that together has got to be worth something, maybe another 50. So you might be able to, you might be able to scrounge 300 bucks out of it, 400 bucks if you're lucky, if you find somebody who needs that stuff and is willing to take them without the, uh, Without the original finish, that's that's another killer right there. So and and of course it's on an extremely the stock it currently has. It has the rifle has no sights. 
because I don't know if they were able to affix a site or a scope bridge. They only drilled one hole in the receiver, so it looks like it was never completed. The front side has been removed, but I still have it. But all the finish has been removed, and it's been placed in this ugly kind of 1950s, 60s commercial stock. You know, it's got the, it's got like the ebony forend with some cheesy white spacer. You know, kind of the old Remington 700 B, uh, yeah, was it the BDL? Remington 700 BDL look, you know. And I mean, this is going back, and this is not in great shape either. And the, the, the absolutely, the coup de grace on this <laughs> is that one of the, whoever the previous owner was, decided that he would carve, well, it looks like a house cat, but I think it's supposed to be a wild cat, but the proportions are wrong. So it looks like a cross between a bobcat and a bear on the stock. And uh, while you give him an A for originality and effort, you got to give his artistic skills kind of a D minus because this is really, yeah, it, it, it makes you look twice. It makes you look twice. Um, yeah, it uh, sometimes customizing things to yourself can be terrible, but this this is one of the strangest the rifle as it sits is very strange looking. So, you know, what do you do with something like that? What, what do you do with it? Well, you know, if the barrel had been cut, I would say the only thing you can do is have a cheap, have a cheap scope mount put on it, mount a scope, and just go, you know, maybe put another stock on it, uh, have it reblued, have it blued, and, and you would have a heavy-duty probably pretty accurate shooting because the shame is the bore is in beautiful shape the bore is absolutely beautiful and you just wondered what the rifle looked like before they started uh destroying <laughs> before they started uh, systematically destroying it by trying to improve it so you, you have that what do you do what do you do well i haven't made up my mind yet completely but right now the two choices are you part it out and just get whatever you can for it and say hey it's 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 dead and and uh maybe some parts of it can live on in other military rifles or um if it's feasible i may look at making a fake sniper out of it kind of a 1917 a4 if you will where you know you get a you get a decent used military stock put the hardware back on it put the front sight back on it make it look like a military rifle but of course it's had the ears chopped off so it's going to look look pretty horrible but if you put on uh, a scope with a vintage looking scope something like the copy of the m82 that they sell and can get a, a mount that'll that'll fit this thing hey you could make a fake sniper a fake 1917a4 maybe something worth looking at maybe something worth looking at it's a uh, it's a definite definite thing you could use in you know kind of quirky military shoots or you know show people kind of what a sniper rifle from world war ii or world war one would look like even though it's not really completely authentic and and everything else so that that might be the only way that this rifle lives on but it did bring me a uh, you know to a deal what do you do when you run across and I've, we've seen them before usually they're 
These days they're more likely to be a Moisin the Gant. But you used to run across all kinds of all flavors of Mausers. You know, and they have I've seen them with dark patina on them. Some kind of horrid stock or some sort of cut down military stock. You know, and nobody really knows what to do with those. They just kind of sit and they're not worth enough to put money a lot of money into but geez you sit there and you look at them and you say there's, there's got to be some use for this there's some some intrinsic value in a in something out of made out of such excellent material that can still actuate a cartridge there has to be a, there has to be some sort of place for that and maybe that becomes you know maybe maybe uh, you know they can be the basis for a truck gun in seven millimeter Mauser you know maybe the Oviedo Mauser can be the low-cost truck gun and uh, I'm, I'm not a real fan of truck guns but I do know that on a ranch it's nice to have a gun that you can pack around everywhere and that you're not really that that uh, worried about if it gets scratched or something so it, it could have some use like that or it could have just some use for a younger shooter that needs a lighter recoiling um, not very fancy gun so what do you do it's certainly the the worst thing in the world the cardinal sin the one horrible thing is to take a intact military rifle these days and try to sporterize it it's just not cost effective but the ones that have already been done and have already been mangled beyond the point of no return you know they can be turned perhaps into something that at least you can get some use out of them and at least they can be something that uh, um, can give some give some service you know something that if you Northern climbs and you have bears. Uh, the 1917 action is very reliable in cold weather, and it's uh, um, 30 out six is no slouch. 180 grain bullets and 30 out six is no slouch. So I will keep you posted. It may be it may be a long while, and I may even do the bluing on it myself with you know oxypho blue or something something to keep the because uh, believe me this will be a low cost operation this will be a low cost project everybody says that but i'm determined that that's how it's going to be okay next question i have seen a russian moisin the gant revolver for sale for six hundred dollars the gun has no wear on it and comes with a holster, a belt, and ammo pouches, and even some boxes of ammo. Is this a good deal, or should I pass? Um, well, you know, without trying to be insulting or trying to be mean, I would say that don't pass. Turn around 180 degrees from that and run as fast as you can. And, you know, run so fast that you think somebody from a vampire or um you know evil spirit possession movie is chasing you uh, basically uh, i know that a lot of people like the historical value of a nagant revolver and you know but technically it is such a clunker unless you're just a complete history nut and want one from the world war ii or want one from the czarist period uh, i would i wouldn't go anywhere near one of those they're the trigger pull on them must be 15 pounds a single action pull is creepy and breaks weird uh they were never they're they're not 
I realized that you know they had some versions. It's, the weird thing is, you go back and look at like the 1950s, 60s, and the Soviets had some weird target versions of that that I guess they went to the Olympics with or something. But that is not the one you're going to see in the in the store for 600 bucks. And I will guarantee that 20 years ago, that gun sold for 60 bucks. They were selling those things sub $75. And because they couldn't, I mean, they were practically giving them away because they couldn't give them away. <laughs> they were, um, you know, I mean, people bought them because they were kind of neat little curios. But uh, I did one myself. I've got one in my gun safe. But it's nothing that I would spend 600 hard-earned dollars on. In fact, what is a fair market price for one of those? I know they get usually under about under 400 for some of the rarer ones. Some of the very common ones like mine, I can't imagine that they go for over three. And frankly, I think that's overpriced. I think it's a $150 gun. And you never know. There are some countries over there who may still be sitting on some because handguns are usually the last thing to go. You know, they usually get rid of the old rifles first, but handguns they'll usually kind of sit on a little bit. So maybe there's going to be another importation. You never know. I mean, who saw who saw the M1 carbines coming in from Ethiopia of all places? Who saw that? Nobody did. So they can find some other little place and there are places around the world that haven't opened up yet. I mean, what if you got a democratic, you know, democracy, not democratic, but a democracy in Cuba? Think of all the old guns they have there. Think of all the old guns they have there, because nobody in Cuba can own a gun. So people are going to be walking. There's going to be, they're sitting all in these government armories, and uh, they're going to want money, and they're going to sell them to importers. Provided, of course, we don't have a change of government, which forbids all such things. But, you know, there are a lot of places around the world. You saw it in Venezuela when um, they were, you know, they were worried about a U.S. invasion that was never going to happen. But they were just getting everybody all excited about it. And you saw the trucks that were handing out the Mauser rifles and bolt-action style rifles to the militia members, you know, which were just anybody they'd get off the street. They were just handing those out. Now, that, that was all propaganda. I'm sure they probably collected those back up. But the fact of the matter is they've got truckloads of them in places like Venezuela. You know, Colombia, who knows? Uh, other places, who knows? So while I wouldn't, count, I wouldn't count on there being a lot of importations, it's always possible. And, uh, you know, face it, the uh, Nagant revolver is one of those things that people might think they're cool now and pay 600 bucks for it. I can't imagine who does, but somebody might. But you could very well, two years from now, have another bunch of those come in, and they're selling for 175 bucks. And then where are you? So that's where I would be with that. Plus, it's just technically just not a great gun. So I would stay away from that. I would run the other direction. All right, here's the next question. Do you think small revolvers like a J-frame, Smith & Wesson, D-frame Colt, or the Rossi 85 revolvers. Do you think revolvers like that or small pocket rocket auto pistols are best for CCW? Well, I can only speak for myself. 
and I can and no matter what you say somebody will come up oh but what if you're attacked by 20 people but I would say that for without question from my experience and talking about me a small revolver is a lot better than the little pocket rocket pistol and there's a couple different reasons for that I would say the first reason is reliability um, I know that they've made great strides in these little pocket rocket pistols and you can even get them with like 12 round magazines you know Hellcats and SIG 365s and all the rest of this but you know a revolver is a revolver and basically you pull the trigger it revolves the cylinder and it fires so unless the ammunition is bad it's it's going to go off there's going to be no drama about well it misfed it failure to eject or any of that or I kind of bumped the uh, magazine release and it and it came out a quarter of an inch so it didn't put the next round in the chamber there's none of that drama there's none of that drama you got six round five five rounds in some cases six rounds in others you pull the trigger and you go the nature of a CCW weapon is to get you out of trouble so you know you shouldn't need a whole lot of shots to get you out of trouble you know it's a lot better to back off and be gone than it is to be you know facing the police after you've just shot someone or or you're in some you're in some uh, protracted uh, fight with someone or you've squeezed off a bunch of rounds and guess what you hit Nana across the street uh, who is on her way to her 87th birthday party and now you're a bad guy and now you're liable and can get sued so I don't I'm not a real big fan of the pocket rockets I know that they're in style they're a fad and and for other uses and I'm talking civilian concealed carry I'm not talking about police and and whatever other kind of, of uses that um, you can come up with that are non-civilian but for the civilian I think you're you're a lot better off with a revolver it just that's just me and I know that there are a lot of people who think differently and I've actually carried automatics I've carried yeah a lot of automatics but I also know that you know there's a there's a real use for the revolver and I know they're not cheap but they are they are very good and of course I I believe Smith & Wesson has really got the corner on the market but there are some lower cost alternatives and the nice part about it is you can also get it in calibers that are a little bit less there are 22s um, there are 22s and there are other things out there uh, 38 special you can you know if you if you can find any 38 special wad cutters for people who are recoil sensitive they can usually handle that out of it out of a J frame um, some of these little pocket rockets are hot they got a lot of recoil and they you know they are especially if you load them with the hotter you know rounds so um, I I believe that for most people a revolver is the the really the best choice it is a little bulkier it is a little harder to deep conceal but it's a it's a great choice so when it comes to a pocket I, do, I don't even own a pocket rocket but I would and I would probably carry a revolver over that um, that's just that's just me that's just me pocket rocket um, they're cool, they're nice, but they're just not for me. I think a revolver is still a great answer. Okay, here's our next question. Who in the gun culture are the biggest failures on YouTube, and why do you think so? Okay, this is, this is easy to answer, and I will say 
something that a lot of people probably won't like but they're all failures um, I can watch them for a while and I do I'll watch them for a while then they just they become so passe and old that I just don't really want to want to watch them anymore so I don't uh, they'll have a good episode now and then it's like it's like forgotten weapons I can watch that if there's a weapon that interests me I can watch it but probably at least half of his content is some experimental or some oddball thing that I have no real interest in. Um, now that doesn't mean that it's not a good video and it doesn't mean it's not interesting to something else because maybe what I watch is uninteresting to a guy who's watching the video that I don't want to watch. So I, I would say that you know after a while it just kind of becomes passe and rote. So unless it's something really interesting I don't see it. Same thing with Nine Hole. Uh, same thing with uh, in-range TV a long time ago, kind of. You know, now they're shilling the my favorite thing in the world. What would Stoner do 2020? They're 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 kind of shilling that, and I'm I'm not interested. Ab absolutely zero interest in that, as I stated last podcast. So there's very few. The other, I will say also just arch architecturally. I really don't like the ones where there's a whole lot of shooting, you know, where it's just a guy banging gongs. And I thought that's where, you know, some of the ones where they actually film matches and saying, hey, this is the match and this is me going through it. And, you know, here is the mistake I made. Here was where the gun jammed or whatever else. Uh, those those were a lot more interesting, in my opinion, just a lot more interesting. Um, you know, the problem with YouTube and I suppose full 30 and all the rest of them um, is that every man can become a broadcaster and every man has and some of them are very good some of them are very very poor so consequently you know you get uh, and some are both some there's some the consistent thing I can say about them is the YouTube content is inconsistent, whether it's inconsistently good or inconsistently bad, however you want to, uh, however you want to look at it. The one area that's exploding, and this is across the board, is our podcasts. I mean, every political hack, even Bill and Hillary Clinton, have their own separate but equal podcast that they just announced. So everyone is uh, trying to get into podcasting as opposed to video making, which is, which is interesting. And there have been some, some good gun podcasts. Some are are pretty boring. Some are just, you know, people flaunting their resumes and whatever else. But um, yeah, the you know the YouTube stuff I find is, uh, take it or leave it. And that's pretty much across the board in a lot of the stuff I look at, not just the firearms content. Okay, here's the next question, and that next question is, there seem to be a lot of people who like or even love the M1 rifle, the M1 Garand rifle, who also hate the M14. Aren't those rifles very similar, and how could somebody love one and hate the other? What is the real comparison between the two? Okay, talking... I don't think we've ever talked about the M1 versus the M14. Uh, okay, and, and I know that uh, Nine Hole kind of came up and said something like this. Uh, I think their, their deal was, why would you need the M14 if you already have the M1? Because it's so great and, 
and it does everything the M14 does, so therefore it's hard to justify the, the existence of the M14. Okay, I will say that I'm a big fan of both of them, and I usually use the term M1 rifle because that's just what I kind of came up with. Uh, Garand was just a nickname, or the people who use Garand who are trying to be more politically correct or more grammatically correct or something else that is that is just a nickname also it was never called the garand it was always called the m1 rifle in every every army publication i've ever seen so if you throw out the nonsense about it took too long to develop and you know it should never have been adopted because of the fnfal and if you throw all that hokum out you throw all that hokum out you just look at the two rifles and again i'm a big fan of both of them as a matter of fact if i one of the rifles I enjoy shooting the most is the M1 rifle. Simply, it's historical association, plus it's just plain fun to shoot. It's a great rifle, and uh, I enjoy shooting it, really do. The M14, I came up shooting those in national match and service rifle competitions, so I know it I know it very well, and I, I really respect it. But if you shoot the two side-by-side... A couple of things are apparent. Just shooting them and using them from, and, and kind of from my infantryman point of view. The first thing to point out is the M14 is definitely a product improved M1 rifle in layout safety, and a lot of the parts are even common. Not as many as they would have wanted, but the sight parts and some of the trigger parts are are common, and they can use them on, on both rifles. So it does have a lot of commonality, and we've talked about that versus the FNFAL and why U.S. military adopted the M14 as opposed to the FAL. So, but getting beyond that, getting beyond that, uh, you do notice when you fire the M14 that the gas system is much more efficient, and it's much better, and it's softer shooting. That's a combination of the cartridge and the gas system, because the bullet performs about the same. There's not enough of a difference to make a difference in the service loadings between 7.62 NATO and and 30 caliber M1 or 30-06 as we call it. So uh, it shoots a lot softer. The rifle itself is lighter, and it's it's got very good balance, and it's a little little less front heavy. So it's it's a very good rifle. A, it feels very good. The traditional stock on it, the whole thing feels very good. Uh, the next thing is it does have the detachable magazine and the reason that the m1 i think a lot of people really like it is the you know it was the perfect rifle for the time second world war we didn't have to produce we had a semi-automatic rifle we didn't have to produce magazines and we had a very quick loading system the eight round end block clip which you pushed into the rifle the bolt went forward you fired it the empty click was ping ejected away and then you just started with a, a fresh a fresh end block clip loaded with eight rounds and the ammunition came packed that way so that was very very convenient especially for large numbers of troops if you'd had to produce 20 or 30 million box magazines that would have been a significant a significant effort so uh, that's why the the m1 was perfect for world war ii especially as fast as it had to be um, deployed overseas and, and actually used the M14 does have a problem, and the, the problem with it is, vis-a-vis -vis the M1, is that all of a sudden, at the end of 20 rounds, you have this empty magazine. Now, you have to, 
it does not automatically eject from the rifle you have to physically remove it and then you have to put it someplace because it's not disposable so you need to put it in the pocket of your field pants or put it back in its magazine pouch um, and then get a fully loaded one out of the magazine pouch and put it into the rifle and and uh, uh, cycle the bolt and go your way so that's what you had to do and um, you know that does create a problem empty empty magazine management can be a problem and that's why I think when they went to the M16 the magazines are semi disposable I mean um, now that doesn't mean that you just kick them all and, and you see that you see that the way people shoot games nowadays they just kick the magazine out then they come back and pick it up later um, in a combat situation you can't always do that because you may not wind up in the same place where you started and maybe going back <laughs> just to, in exposing yourself to risk to pick up empty magazines probably isn't isn't what you're going to do so you still have that same make magazine management problem in combat but the magazines are smaller and now they have these you know these pouches you can just you can just plop them in so it's it's a uh, it's less of a problem than it probably nowadays it's less of a problem than it was with the M14 back then M14 magazines are big and heavy and they, they you pick one up it's got some weight to it and they never went to an aluminum magazine the way the G3 did so the only drawback from the M14 perspective is you've got magazine management to to take care of but it does have a more efficient and better gas system and it's a gas system that surprisingly even though it's a fixed system it takes kind of a variety of ammunition you can produce ammunition in any of the NATO countries that's roughly NATO spec and that was pretty loose specification anyway and uh, the rifle functions with it just fine absolutely just fine you can put match rounds in it and it functions just fine so it's actually a very good rifle a great rifle and it's it's really it's it's gone from maybe 30 years ago from being just venerated and almost as legendary as the M1 to being now it's the one that the millennial gun creators crap on because they've never really used it and they never really understand it so uh, that's my take on the M1 versus the uh, um, M14 and why some people like it and some people like one and don't like the other and they usually like the M1 nowadays they like the M1 and they don't like the M14 in my day we really liked them both and I I really like them both but I do think that the M14 is really an excellent design for what it was supposed to do for what it was really intended to be it was an excellent design okay here's the next question what is the most underrated pistol and pistol caliber Oh, for me that's pretty easy pretty easy the most underrated is 38 special um, it's just been a standard for really a hundred probably 120 years or I would say at least a hundred years uh, it's an excellent cartridge it's it's an effective defense cartridge it has comparatively minor recoil it has you know just a inherent accuracy I mean guns that are even the defense guns even the most modest you know 38 special duty guns like the model 10 can turn in excellent accuracy so it really is a great cartridge but yes it is underrated and so so are the guns that are uh, chambered chambered for it I mean um, 
you know, when you look at the Model 10s, and, and, and these things are not cheap anymore. They used to be, you know, 25 years ago, you could pick up police trade-in revolvers. There was a time when there were just scads of them everywhere, and you could pick them up pretty modestly priced. Those days are gone, and a lot of people appreciate a good revolver. So, uh, But you can still see them every once in a while, and they must be coming in from overseas. Um, you know, some Model 10s or some, you know, kind of fairly pedestrian uh, revolvers, but still really good ones uh, come in and uh, you know what do they what do they run those things for about th between three and four hundred bucks so you know they're still around and, and you can always try to find a used deal somewhere here and there and there are a lot of 38 special revolvers around so um, I did notice in the uh, what was it the guns and ammo retro uh, magazine that they put out a month or two ago you know they called the 38 special a hillbilly cartridge they had this thing on hillbilly guns and nothing could be farther from the truth. I, I think it's more of an, rather than being a hillbilly cartridge, um, and I don't even know what that really means, I think it's more of an everyman's cartridge that essentially it's it's the it's the Ford Model T of cartridges. It's the, you know, kind of the mid-century Chevy among cartridges. It's It's so common and it's so useful that nearly everybody has had one at one time or, or seen one or there been one there's one in someone's family so it's it's a very very good cartridge it is very underrated and there are some good defense loads out there for it but even the old standbys are still effective and if you have to if you can still find them um, a 38 special revolver loaded with target wad cutters can still defend you it's still a good cartridge so uh, it's it should not be just written off as a hillbilly cartridge or or completely obsolete all right next question do you think 22 long rifle will emerge as a defense caliber in concealable guns and if so why well that's interesting because i've actually said that you know hey if you have nothing else <laughs> a revolver and 22 long rifle might not be such a bad bad thing to have if there's nothing more powerful available to you so what i will have to say with that is i never would have predicted that it would become this weird rimfire long range cartridge competitions i never would have predicted nrl 22 would go the path it has or that there are people who shoot you know 22 long rifles at 500 yards to hit a target and establish records. I never would have thought about all that, nor would I have thought that there would be, even on the custom level, a long-range, meaning several hundred-yard ammunition, being specifically made for specific 22 rimfire guns. So I never would have thought that. So it's not beyond the possibility that people will take a second look at 22. It already is chambered in as kind of a... Uh, a minor league caliber in a lot of kind of guns that are already either look like or are just small caliber versions of duty guns so it's kind of already out there and whether it becomes more popular or not i don't know um that that would be very interesting and i think but i think you definitely could see that especially as centerfire ammunition if it if it stays expensive if it stays expensive, people may may gravitate towards the rimfire, accepting the trade-off in performance to cost and utility. So it's entirely possible 
that 22 long rifle will all of a sudden start getting hyped as the new the new hotness it may be definitely the new hotness um, strictly for cost recoil control um, and a few other things and they'll probably you know make some more especially revolvers that can hold nine shots and then kind of give it this you know capacity deal too as the same kind of thing you get in the even the small automatics so definitely could uh, could happen i don't i don't know that that's going to be a fulfilled prediction but it definitely could happen because who would have thought that there would be precision long range 22 rifle 10 years ago who would have thought that and the answer is nobody okay here's another uh, make a prediction what do you think gun control will look like if the democrats win a sweeping victory in november what would it look like and so i would uh, i would say that if if the democrats win the house of representatives the senate take control of the senate and have the white house the first thing on their agenda the very first thing will be massive gun control and it will be elimination of everything semi-automatic everything semi-automatic will go on a federal level this won't be up to the states or anything else there'll be no there'll be no safe haven you know you can't move to kansas and be safe so i believe it'll be definitely um massive gun control semi-automatics will be the first big bite that'll be phase one phase two they'll come after practically everything else and uh they will they will make a case that manually operated guns like lever actions are essentially too fast firing and have too high a capacity in their tubular magazines they'll say that uh, bolt action hunting type rifles and target rifles are in fact sniper weapons and they'll talk about the short range lethality of shotguns and they'll come and get them they'll come and get them and the and revolvers too revolvers will be the criminals guns of choice all that propaganda will get all ginned up again and go so it, it will it will come in two phases and uh, if the republicans hold the senate there's a chance that they could they could stop it but as in 1994 we could get thrown under the bus again and they might do that to enrage the electorate like they did last time so that everybody goes out and votes these guys out but then we're still stuck with this law you know because they're not going to be stupid enough to put in any sunset provisions this time they just won't do it so uh i would say that the the um the thing that will happen is they will go everything semi-automatic first that's rifles and pistols and shotguns and then they'll come for the rest later and you know they'll gin up the propaganda machines there'll be some more incidences of you know kind of very very dubious origins whatever it takes they'll they'll do it but that will be there just as obamacare was was obama's priority when he was elected and they basically had you know he had a majority in in both houses uh what's going to happen is it's going to be gun control it, it definitely will be for no other reason than to punish the trump voters and that will get them that will get them some republican establishment support because there are people there who don't like the fact that we voted in 2016 to elect donald trump so uh they will punish us and gun control is the way they punish us 
So that will that will definitely happen. Same way we were punished in uh, 1994. Might take them a year or two to do it, but they will definitely do it. Well, this is it for another edition of Old School Guns, the podcast that tells you like it is. And if you have any questions or comments, you can submit them on Podbean, our our primary carrier, or you can always um, email them to me at kbmakel at aol.com. And uh, that's kbmakel at aol.com. And send me anything you like. We'll get to it. On, a, on one of the later podcasts. We will definitely answer it. But for now, this is Old School Guns, out. <laughs>